been doing this series called Thresholds, and we're talking about going to the next place, going to the next season, crossing uh, the point of transition. And uh, we've been talking a lot about the children of Israel and how they crossed the threshold of the Red Sea. Last week we talked about how they were in the desert, and then they crossed the threshold of the Jordan. And here they are. Uh, Moses is dead, but the promise still remains. And we see the children of Israel come under a new leadership of Joshua. And Joshua is a picture of Jesus. And uh, we see him cross over the Jordan and lead the people in. But just because you're in your promised land doesn't mean the opposition is done. Just because you're in promise doesn't mean that there's not going to be something to come and try to interrupt your plan. In fact, for the rest of you, you won't, you'll, you're never going to get the, while you live life on the earth, it's never going to, it's not, never going to always be easy. There's always going to be more territory to gain. But this is the cool thing is we can find rest in doing that. We can find peace and pleasure in doing it. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be frustrated. It means that you're going to learn how to deal with those things by the power of Jesus and his presence in you. We're talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, we with unveiled faces are being transformed into the same image of Jesus from glory to glory. We know that sometimes... We get stuck in that too, right? The glory to glory. Like, oh, got glory. Cross the Jordan, but I'm stuck in the two, right? We know God opens one door, closes one door to open another, but sometimes it's hell in the hallway, right? How many know that it's difficult sometimes in that two, in that section? And so here the children of Israel were. They're, they're living in this difficulty. Uh, they don't really, they're actually really enjoying life. And then God's like, but I've given you more. Do you want more? Are you just content to live on the promise that you have? And so he's like, I'm giving you, I'm going to give you this city called Jericho. This is the first of many cities that the children of Israel take in. And Joshua is already a warrior and he raised up all these other warriors. In Joshua chapter five, the end of Joshua five, he there's, someone shows up, and uh, it was Jesus. Most of us believe it was Jesus, and I'll tell you why in just a minute if you know the story. is warrior shows up to Joshua. He's probably fasting or praying. He's right outside of Jericho, and he knows that it's time to, to make some advancement in his promise. He's in. He's safe. He's in a good place, but he knows that it's time to, to take hold of something else. And so this warrior shows up. And Joshua asked him, he says, are you with us? Are you, are you a warrior? Are you on our side or are you on their side? He said, I'm not e- on either army's side. I represent a different army. He said, I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And then we, we see that jo- he says, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to, to take off your shoes. The same thing, same thing Jesus told Moses. I want you to take off the, your shoes because the place where you're standing is holy. And we see that Joshua worshipped him, which shows us that it wasn't an angel because we're not supposed to worship anything that's not God, right? So we know that this was a, uh, a, uh, a Christophany is, is, the, is the word. 
And uh, so what this is, is, is basically an appearance of Jesus before the incarnation, before Jesus was uh, walking on the earth. So most, most scholars, theologians agree that this is Jesus. So he starts talking to him about what's next. I mean, you're glad when God starts talking to you about what's next, right? And, we, man, we preach a lot around here about embracing the season and digging into what God has for you. But there's, there's a next. There's a glory to glory. Right? And so we really believe that this is a good season for that. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. We're going to do a lot of reading uh, this morning. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or go out. Now the Israelites had developed this reputation from other nations. It's interesting that they stayed in the wilderness so long. We know that this was part of the result of their, of their sin and their fear. But during these 40 years, God, because of the provision of God and because of what God did to the Egyptians, who were their enemies, they began to fear the nation of Israel. They were very feared. And so it says Jericho, this great city Jericho, was tightly shut up. They were fear. They were full of warriors. They had champions there, but they were living in fear. So they built this wall around their city to keep Israel from coming. You know, we, we talk about the devil a lot of times, like, oh, man, he's coming for you. Listen, the people of God are coming for you. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not to bring death, but it's to bring life. And I think that we've got to see ourselves and stop living defensively and start living offensively. We're coming for you. You know, we need to look at our city that way. We need to look at our circumstances that way. We need to look at our jobs that way. We're coming for you. We're coming to take the dominion of Jesus. It's not in a violent, mean-spirited way, but it's to bring the life of God. It's to take dominion for Jesus. This is the goal of our life. This is the mandate from Genesis. Genesis. Right? Subdue the earth. Rule it for God. Jesus gives it. Go and make disciples. Subdue the land. Rule over it. And we know that we rule with the heart of a servant. Right? We serve like kings and we rule like servants, right? So this is the, the kingdom that Jesus brought. So we're coming for you. <laughs> Just so you know. And so the Lord said to Joshua, now this is, again, Jesus speaking to him. We believe it's Jesus here. Speaking to him, I have given Jericho its kings and its strong warriors to you and your fighting men. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times, and the priests will blow the horns. When you hear the priest, give one long blast of the ram's horn. Have all the people shout as loud as they can. The walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into the town. So Joshua called together the priest and said, Take up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant always represents the presence of God. Right? Different than it is today, but in those days, this is what that represented. And assigned seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the Ark of the Covenant. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priest with the horns and some behind the Ark. 
When the priests continually blowing the horns, do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. And Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched around in front of the priest and the horns behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priest were blowing their horns. On the second day, they marched around the town once and returned to camp, and they followed this pattern for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before, but this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, the priests sounded the long blast of their horns, and Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. And when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could, and suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight in to the town and captured it. So we love this story. We've heard it, right? A good, good Sunday school story. We're told that... Uh, the, the, the city of Jericho didn't just have a wall around it. It actually had walls. It had a, a, a main wall that was around the city, and then there was like a retainer wall. There was a little bit smaller wall in front of that. And between that area of these two walls would be filled with their warriors, their guys that had bows and arrows and crossbows or whatever weaponry they had to defend their city. Outer wall probably... Uh, most archaeologists believe that it was probably about six feet thick, about 20 feet high, and the inner wall was 12 feet thick, 30 feet high. So these huge obstacles standing in between the children of Israel, what they needed or what God was calling them to and where they were at. Are you with me? And God was like, I'm going to break through. I'm going to bring the walls down. We love this story, right? So, uh, some have said that, that the walls were so thick that they could even race chariots around the exterior of the wall. And we don't see this in Scripture, but some have speculated this, that the walls were really this big. It was a great city, a great city that was in fear of people that really didn't have a home yet. Interesting. I love this story. I've always really been drawn to it, how God just does this supernaturally, just crushes the walls of the city, but doesn't use, you know, jackhammers and, right, the renovations that we do. You know, if you've ever tore down a wall, you know how tedious that can be, a small wall. But this is a wall of a city made of stone and fortified by not just the stone, but also the enemy that would be standing there ready to attack those that would come against them. And I love the story how not, not only that they were obedient to the Lord, but how God protected them against attack when they were going around the city. Isn't it interesting that they weren't attacked? I mean, they weren't, they weren't doing it like, what, what's, that, what's that game called where you sneak around? Like the, you know what I'm talking about? Like stealth mode? All those games, you know, they have where you run around stealth mode. They weren't trying to do it like stealth mode, right? I guess, Splinter Cell or something. They weren't like sneaking around, you know, trying to be like ninjas. I mean, they were like blowing horns and stuff. They were like walking around the town going, we're coming for you. We're coming for you. 
right? But actually, they weren't saying a word. They were just blowing their trumpets. They were just lifting up a song of worship. But I want to talk today about principles of breakthrough. I want, to, I want to give you five keys because I believe that where we're at in service, prayer, what's going on tonight at the prayer gathering or, and this morning, that some of you need breakthrough in your life. Come on, it might be emotional breakthrough. It might be financial breakthrough. Come on. It might be mental breakthrough. You need to break through some things in your mind. But you need to see some walls tumbling, tumbling down. You know what I'm saying? You need to, like that, that old John, John Cougar Mellencamp song, right? They're in the walls. Came tumbling down in the wall. You need you need that, right? You need these this breakthrough. You need this event to happen to where the walls are shattered. Six principles. Number one, the number one perspective is this. It's his battle. You gotta have that perspective. Listen, when Jesus is your king, your battles are his battles. Right? His battles are your battles. There's no striving to get through the battle. The striving's to get the Lord's heart. The striving is overcoming my flesh so I can trust God. That's where the striving is. It's not like, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to will my way through it. How many know it's his battle? It's not yours. This is the perspective. This is the whole reason why the children of Israel had such confidence is because it was God's battle. It wasn't theirs. This is why Jesus shows up, steps out of heaven, and says, listen, you're about to fight, and I'm going to give you the city. Joshua 6, verse 2, I have given you Jericho. It's kings and it's strong warriors. The battle you face is not your battle. It's not yours. Stop acting like it's your battle. Stop complaining like it's your battle. It's God's. Because when Jesus is your king, your battles are his battles. Your bills are his bills. Your struggles are his struggles. It's his. And let me tell you this. The battle's already won. Jesus already won the battle. And I I love divine partnership. I love it that God says, hey, I want you to be in on the victory process. He's not eliminating you from the equation. When we say the battle is the Lord's, we're not saying, God, eliminate me from the equation. We're just saying, Lord, position me properly to be the proper kind of instrument in the battle. Because really winning the battle is more about worship than it is about warfare. So we have prayer gatherings sometimes, and we're like, devil, demons and if we just exalt the lord lord it's yours you know these 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 horns that they traveled around with these ram's horns they were actually the horns of jubilee they were the horns of celebration what were they celebrating were they celebrating jericho were they celebrating themselves no they were celebrating the lord So just like he was there to show Joshua, to reveal himself in the situation, to say, listen, the battle's mine. Will you trust me? The city's yours because I'm going to take it. I'll deal with the biggest obstacle, and you'll just go in and take the city. Number two. So number one, perspective. 
It's his battle. Number two is promise. The promise is remembered. If you want breakthrough in your life, the thing that you've got to continually remind yourself of is promise. Promise. It's all about promise. Do you have that promise, that hope of promise inside of you? These people, these children of Israel could march with confidence because they had a word from the Lord. They had heard from God. And listen, you need to familiarize yourself with the word of God. You need to familiarize yourself with the prophetic. You don't, know how to, you don't know how to hear God yet? Then get around some people that know how to hear God. And let them prophesy to you. And you, you, they'll rub off on you. And you'll start prophesying. Then you'll be able to hear the word from the Lord. But sometimes you just got to get around it for it to get in you. Right? So you got to get that word of the Lord in you. God, what are you saying? God, what are you giving me? What's next? You need to know the Word. Listen, one of the reasons why it's so important for us to be in the Word every day and reading the Word every day and memorizing Scripture, one of the reasons why that is so important is because it familiarizes us with how God speaks. So when God speaks to us, we have the filter to catch what He is saying and then what the enemy is saying. All of a sudden, you're like, yeah, that sounds like the character of God. This is the Lord. This is how He speaks. Rather than going, I don't really know what God's saying. How, how much... Was, if I said that to you in your difficulty right now, I said, well, what is God saying, you buck? I don't know. How much time are you spending in the Word? How much time are you spending around the prophetic? Prophetic worship, prophetic people, prophetic anything. How much time are you listening to the Word of God? Because you've got to develop a filter to be able to catch that stuff. And then you're able to eliminate all the junk that's not God. Hearing God is not difficult. It's just about listening. My sheep hear my voice. He's speaking. Are you hearing? There's no question he's speaking. You know, everybody talks about, you know, that time between the Old Testament and the New, the silent age, God was silent. God wasn't silent. People just quit listening. Silent? That's what God speaks. It's his nature. He's, he's, commun- he's into communion. He's into fellowship with his people. You know, he's, he's good at relationship. I mean, that's bad, bad relationship not to be a communicator. Well, here we got the Bible. We don't need to hear the Lord anymore. Where, where do you get that? What is, what is that? God just stopped. I got the Bible. We have that as a filter. We have that as a filter. How I many you know the Bible don't tell you take this job next week? Lord, what are you speaking to me today? Judas went and hung himself, Right? Go and do likewise. Right? Oh, whoops. Wrong verse. So promises got to be remembered. Listen, 2 Corinthians 1.20, all of God's promises are yes and amen. The question for you is, do you know what he's promising? Not just in the word. We, we, know, we know we got the promises for healing and provision. We know all that. But what about your specific situation? What about the thing that you, you don't know? Get that promise. We, uh. Leslie and I, I want to say four years ago or so, we, we, we were in a very unhealthy place for a, a, a good season, you know, three or four years, just unhealthy. We didn't have community. We were loving Jesus. We were going, but we we just grown unhealthy. And, and so we moved to Amarillo and took up this youth pastoring job and got really healthy. Like we got in community and we got in relationship with people. And so what happened is we we got healthy. And so we said, hey, let's have more babies. Right? 
be fruitful and multiply. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm all in. So, and so, because we go back and forth before that, but we were on the same page because we were healthy. And, and so we start praying, and we started, you know, doing what we could do to have babies. And I won't go into the details of that this morning. Um, and then Leslie got pregnant. Woo, party at the Browns, right? Telling the kids. We're all excited about the baby. And then Leslie miscarried. And we were crushed. And we, had, we, we, were, we were sitting in the doctor's office, and I'll never forget Leslie looking at me. And she said, we got to tell the kids. What are we going to tell the kids? You know, I mean, we, we, we were crushed, but we were like, how, how are they going to take this? This was a Thursday afternoon. And that Sunday night, we went, to, we went to church. We had a prophet in town. We went to church that night, and he called Leslie up. He said, we stand up. We, he didn't know anything about us, didn't know the situation. We were just dealing with all this. And Leslie stands up, and he said, the tragedy that happened to you in recent days, something along the lines here, will not happen a second time. He said, you will have children. And as crushed as we were in that moment, there was such hope in that promise. And we didn't give up. And so, you know, a couple months later, we started participating in God's plan again. Come on. And uh, Leslie got pregnant again. And we went... Um, Went to the doctor, all this kind of stuff. So we, so we started researching names. And you know what we said? This is the same season that God started planning our church, like, in our hearts. We were thinking about the church, all this kind of stuff. Should we wait to have kids? No, let's just do it. So we got the promise. Let's move into it. And so we knew that God was, like, setting us up for things. And so we were laying in bed one night, and we said, okay, let's, let's start looking for names. We're really into, like, the meanings of names. That's why people have a hard time pronoun- pronouncing our kids' names because, you know, especially Uriah and Elisa, they're always calling her Elijah, and we're, like, slapping them. Read it. Eliza. Elusha. Whatever. All kinds of stuff. Anyway, so we're backwards searching these names. What name means the promise of God? And we ran across the name Elisa, which is God has promised. And we just started declaring that over her life. And we started declaring that God's provision over her life because we had named her not just the promise of the children, but promise to the season that we were entering into. And so, you know, every time that I look at her, you know, she just turned two this week. Every time I look at her, I'm reminded that God is faithful to keep his promises. If there's, if there's not any money in the bank, I could walk in the room and just look at Elisa and go, I remember. God keeps his promises. So you get a promise. You get it. Because when you remember promises, it will help you in your breakthrough. And the children of Israel had this when they were marching around that city. I I don't know about you, but I would have been like so annoyed. We got to walk around this town outside the city. Like I got like a sword in my hand. I could take somebody out like right now. I could stride my way through. We could probably take the city. But walking around that city every day, the monotony of it, no, no, no. Not saying a word, walking around that city and going, this is what God told us to do, and he's going to deliver. That's what he does. He's taken us over the Jordan. He provided for us in the desert. 
All these things are going through their mind. They developed the history. Some of you, you just need to develop a history in seeing God deliver one promise. It's not a, it's not a question of God delivering a promise. It's a question, are you going to be there when the promise is delivered? So what we have is we have a generation of people that, that, that are so microwaved and so fast food driven and so instant that they've never seen a promise of God delivered in their life because they haven't been at the right place at the right time to receive it. And so they don't have any history, so they don't have any Elisa to look at and go, oh, yeah, I remember. So when Leslie and I moved out here to plant this church, we had Elisa, but we also had a decade of watching God keep his end of the deal of being a good provider. So everybody else was like, man, y'all are crazy. We're like, we're just obeying the Lord. He has never forsaken us. He has always provided, and we were just able to move into it. Without fear, because we developed a history, a history that was rooted in God keeping his promises because we remained positioned to receive it. So you've got to get a promise, whether it's a promise in Scripture or if it's a promise from a prophetic word. Your breakthrough needs a promise backer. You got this. We, We got a promise. You need healing in your body. You've got a promise. So write stuff down, memorize things, get it in you, get it in you. All God's promises in him are yes and amen. It's good. It's a good promise. It's in you. It's yes. God God doesn't say no to what he's already promised. God don't say no to what he's already promised. Jesus don't say no to what he's already done. How's he going to say no to that? He's already said yes. All the promises of God in him are yes and amen. Bang. Bam. So be it. Boom. Done. Number three. So we see this with these people, right? They had a perspective, the battles of the Lord's. Number two, they had a promise to remember or promises is remembered. Third principle. As a people, you need to be around people with familiar faith and focus. I mean, God didn't come and Jesus didn't show up and say, okay, Joshua, I want you to walk around the city. Hey, Joshua, how's it going? You bored? <laughs> it's got to be boring. You don't know how to play the trumpet. God my sword, right? No, no, no. Listen, when God calls you, he calls you to a community of people to be in so they can celebrate with you, so they can be there when you're weak, so they can encourage you. But you've got to get around these people. I mean, they were familiar people. This, this is what Joshua said. He said, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. So here they were. How, did, how were they able to do that? I mean, I, I don't think I could do that. Not even one day. I couldn't do that. Right? You'd be like saying stuff without using your mouth. Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? You'd be like, remember when we passed this? Like you're telling them, with, right? You're communicating. So Joshua said, don't say anything. So they are, what is their focus? Their focus is the Lord. They were focused people. They, they, they were people of faith and focus. Where was the presence in relation to the people? It was in the middle. It was in the middle of the people. Listen, you got to get around people that have the presence in the middle. 
you got to get around people that have a similar focus that you have. You need to get around people that have a similar faith that you have. And you need to do life with them if you want to experience breakthrough. It's probably not going to happen with any Lone Rangers. God got rid of that. Right? We had the prophets. They would go and do that. That, that. that ended when Jesus came. He started putting people in community to see it together. So whenever people weep, we can weep with them. And when they rejoice, we can rejoice with them. It's called community. And the, the context, context of miracles is community. You can't do it alone. You're not that solid. If you're honest with yourself, you know. I tried to do it alone for a long time. I did. And I got real unhealthy doing it. You gotta have that community. Listen, you gotta prioritize. You gotta make it a priority to be in community with people. I'm not talking about what your girlfriend. I'm talking about a group of people. You can't do it alone. You won't see breakthrough. They'll be weak. They'll be strong when you're weak. And you'll be strong when they're weak. They need you and you need them. That's why God built a church. That's why God put you here. So you can be in relationship with these people to have breakthrough in your life. And you can help them with the breakthrough that they need. And when they don't have the word, you have the word for them. And when they need to be rebuked, you got the rebuke for them. And they don't get offended and run off because we're in community. Because I need that rebuke just like you do. You just need it more often. All right, just kidding. Number four. Y'all all right? So you got to have people. Number four. I want to say these are the emphasis points, but we've kind of emphasized every point. Number four is a pattern with a purpose. If you want to have breakthrough, you've got to develop in your life patterns with a purpose. It is, listen, I know that I'm speaking to a lot of like kind of artistic young people that hate patterns. We hate monotony. We hate the grind. But one of the things that I love about being older is it's easier for me to embrace the grind. Like I, like I have to have it now. It's healthy. Listen, it is healthy for you to have a routine. It's, it's healthy for you, for your life to be mundane at times. But do you have Jesus at the center of your routine? Because you can have a routine without Jesus and it ain't going to get you anywhere. They had a routine. They were doing the same thing over and over and over again before the breakthrough happened. You've got to find Jesus at the center of your routine. What does your routine look like? I know you wake up that day, do that, 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 you need to have that. But where is Jesus in your routine? Well, I just, I just love the Lord my God with all my heart and all my strength. I just walk around and just kind of do whatever. But where, when, when are you devoting yourself to Jesus in your routine? Does, does Jesus fit into your schedule or do you fit your schedule around Jesus? How many know he's king? He's not pocket Jesus. He's not wristband Jesus. I'll just kind of put you right here, Lord. Kind of add Jesus on. We'll kind of walk around and do whatever we want. There's Jesus. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Lord. Peeky-boo. Right? Your grind, your routine, the same thing that you're doing every day. How are you connecting with Jesus? How are you finding Jesus in your routine? On your job. Where is Jesus in your job? Is he in your back pocket? Does he stay at church on Sunday? Where is he in your routine? I'm not saying you've got to get in front of your friends and be like, listen, this is the word of the Lord. No, you need to get in there and work your butt off. But are you glorifying the Lord with your attitude? Are you honoring him? Are you seeking him in moments of privacy? So I'm not talking about getting in your job and preaching the gospel. You're there, to, you're there to do a job. If someone asks you about the gospel, you bring it. Are you with me? I just want to. All right. 
Listen, I'm convinced that the pattern was not the walking around the, the city. The pattern was their obedience. If God had told them to walk around the city 40 days or 40 years, they would have done it. Why? Because the pattern was obedience. The pattern was obedience. We're talking about faithfulness. That's what we're talking about. When we're talking about our pattern, we're talking about our faithfulness. This is what I hear sometimes people talk about faithful. Well, I tried that. Faithful don't try. Faithful does. Day in, day out. Faithful does. Faithful don't try. I was faithful for a season. Then you weren't faithful. You aren't faithful till it's finished. Faithful, 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 faithful. Every freaking day, faithful. You want to be fruitful? Be faithful. Faithful, 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 fruitful, faithful, 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 fruitful, faithful, 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 fruitful. You don't always see the fruit. We want to go around fruitful. I'm just going to be fruitful. I'm just going to sit around and sleep till noon every day. I'm going to be fruitful. No, you ain't. You're going to make no money. Nobody's going to hire your lazy rear. Nobody's going to want any of that. You need to be faithful. You need to be faithful to wake up with Jesus on your lips. You need to be faithful with him, his glory being on your mouth. You need to be faithful when it's easy for you to sin. Faithful, faithful. You want to be fruitful? Put him first. Be faithful. Be faithful in the little. He'll make you ruler over much. The problem is we're not faithful in little, and we complain that we're not ruling over much. Oh, well, one of these days when I'm in ministry and somebody's paying me to serve God. Nobody ain't paying you to serve God. Our pastor that I served under for 11 years, that's one of the things he said. He said, we're not professional Christians. Nobody's paying us to serve Jesus. He's like, that's good. Then I got saved. Listen, Jesus says in John 15, he said, if you abide in me, if you will remain in me, you'll bear fruit that will last. But we don't like faithful, man. We like fruitful. Because faithful sounds painful, right? <sighs> faithful, 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 fruitful, faithful, 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 faithful. Just, just what you're doing. Just faithful to grind. The monotony. Just being faithful to God. Just being faithful to God. Listen, I'm not talking about being stale. You're, you're faithful to It's not going to be stale. It's not going to be boring. Well, I tried it, and it, we don't try faithful. We don't tr- try faithful, Albert, do we? We just do. Faithful does. Day in, day out, next week. What patterns are you developing right now that you'll be doing in 40 years? You're probably not going to be working the same job. You're like, thank God. But if you're not faithful in the little, if you're not faithful to flip burgers at McDonald's, then God ain't going to make you rule over a CEO company, whatever your job is. Faithfulness, consistency. Again, what are you, you going to be doing in 40 years that you're doing right now? What kind of patterns are you developing? Negativity? Praise? An attitude of celebration? These are all patterns. We're talking about Faithfulness. Sometimes when it gets hard, you just need to remind yourself. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Faithful, faithful. Gosh, hard, faithful, faithful. Walking around that city. Wish I could talk to somebody. Faithful, faithful, faithful. Number five. Praise, then victory. Praise first, 
then victory. See, this is what we do. We cheer after our team scores. People of God cheer before we score. See, you think that you're going to go to God and you're going to celebrate him after all the crumbling happens. That's not the way it works. We live in the upside-down kingdom, baby. And with us, the praise comes, then the victory. See, you don't, you don't praise God for what's about to happen. I mean, you do. you do. You praise God for what's about to happen. You don't praise God for what already happened. You do. You thank him. Yeah, but Lord, I thank you that I'm stepping in to the next thing. I thank you that these walls are about to crumble. I'm thankful that you took care of us for 40 years in the wilderness. I'm thankful, Lord, that you were watching over me and you didn't let me get shot in the back when I was walking around the city. I can imagine the urgency that was building up in the children of Israel after seven days of walking around that city going, He said, don't say a word, and then you shout. Psalm 67, 5 says, may the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may the nations praise you then. May the nations praise you then. The earth will yield its harvest. Listen, if you're waiting to celebrate God, then you aren't going to have anything to celebrate. Praise first, then victory. Mm, I'm going to organ on that thing. Listen, worship can be silent, but praise can't be. You look up every Hebrew word in, in, in the Bible, you will see craziness. Some of you are really good worshipers. You need to get your praise on. We need to shout more in church. We, you know, that when I got saved, it was like, celebrate. It was like, it was, kind of, it was kind of common to do the, you know, the little dance and everybody shouting and stuff like that. And now, now it's like, oh, we just going to worship the Lord. And just, listen, you're not going to have any victory in your life that way. You're going to, you, you like that because you're, you're loving God in the darkness, but he's wanting to bring you into a new level. But you're going to have to learn to shout a little bit. You're going to have to learn to dance a little bit. And you're going to have to learn to get up on the praise because God is worthy and because of the breakthrough he's about to bring. That's just not my personality. It's not about you. Did you forget? Some of you are like, oh, so uncomfortable. Good. Get your flesh out the way. Look like an idiot. That's the words, words for praise. You study them. There's like tons of them. All of them are like going crazy. Like spinning around violently. And when someone makes fun of you, or you make fun of somebody else. In fact, you want to know what God thinks about that. Look at Micah, the way that she, she scrutinized David when he was carrying the ark and he was dancing around in his underwear. And she's like, oh, look how the king. And then she didn't, was never able to bear children again. You want to be fruitless? Criticize someone else's praise. <laughs> yeah. Shaw. Joshua 6, 16, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. It's coming, but you got to get your praise on. (laughs) See, you know, you know, something's released. Something is released when you shout. Some of it's faith. It's confidence in God. It's declaring what he's done. We call it a victory shout, but listen, we shout before the victory. It is a victory shout 
But you're shouting before you see the breakthrough. And some of you are so full of pride, you won't ever let it come out. And you're going to live like you've been living. You're never going to see breakthrough in your life. You're going to walk around with a prideful, arrogant spirit. And you're just going to kind of live on the perimeter of what God has promised you. You're never going to see those walls come down. You're never going to experience God's best. That's just not who I am. Go live in the camp. You're still in the promised land. You still get in. I praise you, Lord. I shout so hard. It's easy to sing a lot than to tell one. Listen, the Christian should shout ten times in victory before we speak of one obstacle. I said shout. Listen, it might take you being in your car when nobody's around to get it moving, but you do it. You get in that car, and you, guys, you start having that lustful thought. God, I thank you for victory. You just get on it. Oh, I feel stupid. Good. Get it out. Sometimes I walk in here, like I walk in, I'm like, I'm tired. Lord, bring it. <laughs> Cops are pulling up outside. They got an ambulance outside with a straight jacket. Who that pastor? He's a crazy man. <laughs> Lift up your heads, oh you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of Glory comes in. Listen, you want God to invade your circumstances? You learn the power of the shout. You learn the power of the celebrating God.